Do you like wrestling trivia? Then check out the five-star match game, the Pro Wrestling Quiz Show. I'm Joe Gagney, and every episode, I grill three contestants with five rounds of power-packed wrestling trivia. We have over 30 evergreen episodes in the archives covering WWE, AEW, Japan, Mexico, and much, 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 much more. Play along at home and check it out today. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Express. I'm your host Neil David and we are back once again on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network to talk about all the happenings on the British and European wrestling scene. I almost did it. I almost, almost reviewed progress. Um, I stood at the edge, I looked down and I realised I've lost a lot of friends there baby. I've got no time to play around so I, I pulled myself back. And there's a little bit of a background to this, and, and, and really it all starts with uh, a humongous mistake from me. Just an absolute schoolboy error. I got nutmegged because what I did is what no one should ever do, and I tweeted. I've been poking fun at progress for years, and I, I don't feel bad about it at all. I think when the three mates sold the souls to WWE, any bad feeling that I might have for poking fun at an independent promotion was just gone then. It just it evaporated. That's why anyone or, you know, anything to do with NXT UK is fair game for poking fun at and laughing at. And Progress, you know, they, they sailed on that ship a long, long time ago. But it, over the past couple of months and, well, years, I suppose, especially with the new owners, it's just a bit like, I can't be bothered with progress anymore. Um, so I just let them be. You know, I did the Werner Herzog thing we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, you know, let them have their fun. But they tweeted something about the Gene Money show that they had. They did a Gene Money produce show, which, I mean... No, never in a million years. You know what I mean? Like, just, just no. Never. I would. I, I. I cannot imagine watching that. You know, it's like if Tuesday Night Graps is purgatory, then a Gene Money Progress show must be absolute hell, right? And they tweeted this thing where Callum Newman at the show was stabbed. One of the greatest young wrestlers in the country in terms of potential and upwards trajectory. I'm going to talk about that later on, by the way. But one of the greatest potential wrestlers in the country got stabbed and killed. 
And it seemed to me that this show was like an episode of The Bill, but even worse. Imagine The Bill, but even worse. And I... I just I was blown away. I mean, you can hear it now that it's literally my job at this moment in time to articulate things. And I looked at that tweet and looked at the picture and just thought, when I left Progress Behind about six months ago, it was stupid. And that that's why I left it behind. But what has gone wrong? What wrong turning did we take for it to get this bad that someone is being dramatically stabbed at a wrestling show? What, like, what world are we in here? That you know, this isn't Kaiju Big Battle, where it's a little bit of a bit of fun at a big wrestling weekend, where you know this is progress. This is a, a company that were once really good, and I, I tweeted, I tweeted a new low. That's all I did. I just said this is a new low. Full stop. No likes, no retweets. No one's on Twitter anymore, and I'm not particularly big on there anyway. And they retweeted me. Can't believe I'm doing this, by the way. I can't believe I'm opening like by talking about Twitter interactions. But you, I think you'll understand because they retweeted with an animation of a snowflake. Now, the the beef here, by the way, is very much a problem with me and my personality because I got so wound up by this. Not because they called me a snowflake. Well, uh, there's, you know, there's some con- there's some connotations to calling people snowflakes that are a bit weird. Let's be honest. Like it's not it's not a word that I would use to talk about people. Let let's put it that way. It's 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 a word that you know certain groups of people use to describe other people. So let, let we'll we'll leave that one there. You know, the sort of people who tweet at Piers Morgan. You know, those sorts of people. You know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, they tweeted out with a snowflake. And they seem to think, whoever's running this 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 progress Twitter, they seem to think that what's bothered me is the fact that someone got stabbed and that's offended me. I mean it has, but not for the reasons that they think it has. And I, I was that wound up that I really wanted them to know that the reason why I thought it was a new low is not because of some moral sensibility that they've that the, the, the rebels that they are have managed to offend. You know, they've managed to, you know, really wind up the stuffy podcaster who's, who wants to hold wrestling back and, oh, he can't handle it, and isn't he just a snowflake? And aren't we edgelords like Jeremy Clarkson? No, it's the booking, it's the wrestling, and it's the whole promotion that are bad. And I wanted to go on and review it and talk about it. And I literally got to the point where I was typing in demand progress. Oh, the irony. And I was about to re-up a subscription to that company to review that show and break down in minute detail why it was bad. And I've not even seen it. And we know it's rubbish, don't we? And don't dare come at me and say, you haven't seen it, how do you know? Because we know, don't we? We know what it's like. But I didn't. I pulled myself back from the precipice. I thought, do you know what? Life's too short for this. Again, to go back to that Werner Herzog thing, 
Sometimes you've just got to let people have their fun. And it seems like nowadays that I speak to lots of adults who are into weird stuff, you know. Like, you, you speak to an adult and they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm into wild swimming now. You know, I go on a Sunday and I, I put my cosy or my trunks on and go swimming in a cold river. And you just go, do you know what? That sounds like absolute hell, but you should have fun doing that. Don't let me stop you. There are people who run marathons. There are people who get up at 7 o'clock on a Sunday and go for a run. I think they're idiots. I can think of a thousand better things to do, but they probably look at my Chaos Space Marines and say, well, that's stupid as well. So sometimes you just got to let people have the fun. And I think that's the approach you've got to take with progress, isn't it? If you enjoy Gene Money's nipple-taped stabbing fest, then you go and enjoy that show. I'll enjoy wrestling. And talking of wrestling, we've got an absolutely packed show for you. Um, I've watched a ton, a ton of stuff. Um, we're going to talk about uh, the GWF uh, Light Heavyweight Cup. Is that what they call it? The... the, the uh, the, the light, yeah, I think it's the light heavyweight cup. Yeah, the, the gimmick that they do last year, which I really enjoyed. So I was really excited to watch it um, this year. We've got Purpose Wrestling have just put the show up on their Patreon, and I believe that's going to be rolled out onto YouTube soon. So I wanted to take a look at that and get you up to date and give you any recommendations from that one. And then I've also watched a couple of Red Pro shows. We've got Live in London 71 and the one that was in Stevenage, that they've given a name. It's not part of the tour, this one. This is Raw Deal. You know, sometimes they just give sort of these... Sometimes they kind of live in Stevenage or whatever, and sometimes they actually have a name. Well, this one's got a name, so it's worth talking about. The only Red Pro show that I've not watched, I have to be honest, and I'm, I'm really excited to watch it because I've heard really good things about it, is live at Sheffield. It's Like I say, it's just gone up, so it was a, a case of either delay the episode for a couple of days and, and watch that, but I thought we'll do that and we'll, we'll catch up another time. Um, if you're looking for WXW stuff, by the way, we're definitely reviewing 16 Carat um, that whole weekend. I'm going to review it in detail every show. It's just not gone up. Uh, I think they put... Is it the Inner Circle show they do as part of the weekend? That's gone up, but the rest hasn't, so we're just going to wait for that a couple of weeks, watch the whole thing, and, and, and every show's coming, because I've heard really good things about it, and I'm I'm not particularly a huge EBA fan, and I, I'm, I'm open to change my mind about that. Anyway, let's talk about Red Pro first of all. Let's go down south and start with Live in London 71. I feel like I've had one of those weeks where I've just watched a ton of wrestling, even by people like us sort of standards. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, we've watched a ton of wrestling, haven't we? We all have. But that thing, of like, every night I've got in from work and just, just watched wrestling all night, and I've had a great time doing it. And this Red Pro Live at London show, it wasn't the first show that I watched in the last week or two by any stretch in sort of this little block of, this little run of watching. I watched quite a few others beforehand and I was blown away by how bad the production was. We're going to talk about a couple of matches that I've seen in various different places and every single promotion in Europe, from the smallest to the biggest, they are producing their shows better than Red Pro. 
Like this one, for example, the full show has only just gone up. So I can't talk about the first two matches. I can't talk about JJ Gale defeating Yota Suji. Which feels like such a massive deal, doesn't it? It feels like a humongous thing for someone like JJ Gale to beat Yota Suji. For lots of reasons. Because he's beat him again at the Sheffield show as well, by the way. Or was it Raw Deal? Yeah, sorry, Raw Deal. I've not seen Sheffield yet. So he's beat Yota Suji twice. Yota Suji's also been beaten by Dan Maloney. Yota Suji's doing jobs. Yota Suji's doing the old J-O-B and looking up at the lights. Which is really exciting, isn't it? Because we know that means he's probably on his way out and he's going to go back to New Japan, which is which is great. We can start to look at his whole excursion. Maybe we'll do a special on that. That'd be interesting. Um, I didn't get to see Jack Morris defeating TK Cooper because that part was... It started halfway through. Um, I'm not. <laughs> I can't, I'll, I'll get over that one, I think. But uh, we started with Sky Smithson and uh, Maya Matthews. And I think one of the big things that we're going to look at over these couple of shows is that the women's division is starting to creep up a little bit. Now, the women's division was really beset with injuries, as we know. So it's kind of been a tricky thing to criticise into sort of when you're aiming at Andy. Because actually, there's been a lot of situations where you just think, well, what could he have done? You know, every, it seemed like every woman that he booked um, to be in a prominent position went away and got injured. But one person who seems to be coming out of this and has really made, um, a, a sort of take a great advantage over these opportunities is Maya Matthews. Her confidence, she had a match here against Sky Smithson, and her confidence has increased exponentially. You know, she's someone who's really finding a character She's somebody, and we're going to talk about her later on as well. She had a, a really good match on the um, Purpose Wrestling Show that we're going, to, we're going to review. But she has built up this character of, of this resilient fighter. You know, she's not somebody who is naturally this ethereal talent. She's somebody who's a grafter. And if you want to pin her, and she gets pinned a lot because of the position that she's in, you're really, really going to have to batter her and beat the living daylights out of her and she's got that she could do certain things in the ring that not many wrestlers can you know she could do the kick out of one and fight back later on in a match that with a lot of wrestlers will often seem kind of corny but she could just do it brilliantly and, and do it in a really really exciting way this match was against sky smithson and sky smithson is the one they're pushing big time at the minute in the women's division, and they absolutely should. I think Sky Smithson is is terrifying. She's got a genuine aura about her that I really like, this sort of terrifying aura. My problem with this match is, and I'm going to go into a bit of an old man rant here because I'm seeing this a lot in Rev Pro, is that there were too many kickouts. I know that's the Maya Matthews thing, that she's resilient. I get that it's got to go on a bit and there's got to be this these big fight backs and moves that were supposed to pin her aren't enough. And I get that and I like that about her. There was just a little bit too much here. And I think the problem when you do that is it kind of borders on being the forced epic. And that's a bit of a Rev Pro thing sometimes. Is that they think if we just make this match long and we put loads of kickouts in it, it's going to be dramatic, and you've got to feel it a little bit. And I think if they, I mean, it wasn't a long match at all. I mean, according to Cage Match, it was nine minutes long. But I, I felt every one of those minutes. You know what I mean? I really felt every one of those minutes. And I, I think that 
a little bit of brevity would really suit these kind of matches. I, I, I do. I, I don't think. And it's great because the shows, if you look on the Repro On Demand, the shows are like two, two and a half hours. I mean, I know half the matches are being cut off because they don't upload them properly, but they just, they're pithy shows with few matches, yet somehow some of the matches just feel a little bit overlong. You know, if it's two two hours 15 instead of two and a half, would you really mind? But, you know, I'm nitpicking here because I think these are two wrestlers who are going to be really interesting to look at going forward. Next, we have Maloney against Shigehiro Irie. And I love Maloney, obviously. I'm not going to go on about this Maloney story. But I love the... Just the idea of this story. That Osprey will face him, but he doesn't want this new Maloney who's lost his way. He wants the old Maloney who had a bit of drive and a little bit of passion for professional wrestling. Who says, yeah, win a load of matches and then we'll have a match. And the the whole point, really, of this story, and they say this on commentary, is that Dan Maloney's got to keep his head. Dan Maloney can't lose it. Dan Maloney's got to stay focused. He's got to be the best wrestler he can be to beat all these sort of high-level opponents. And I, I just think that's the sort of story that gets me in professional wrestling. That's the sort of story that grabs me. Just those simple little real human stories. The antithesis of sort of big American companies that do these big things with with lights and, and, and over-dramatization and corny acting and, and tribal chiefs and wise men and all that. I don't want any of that in my wrestling. I want these real human stories that I can believe in. And I can believe that Maloney is at a turning point in his career where he needs to be a better wrestler. Because he's getting to that point now, he's getting to that age where if he doesn't start making advances, if he doesn't start moving up that wrestling ladder, he's going to get stuck where he is forever. And that's just a wonderful little story with, with just enough reality in it to grab me. And he can tell that story so well. There was a bit because Irie came out and the crowd, people love Irie. And the crowd were going wild for him. The crowd were chanting for him. And in the past, the old Maloney would have loved that. You know, he would have shouted at them and he would have got... But this time, his face was determined. You could tell his eyes were twitching a little bit. He was kind of looking round, but he was trying to block that crowd out. He knew he had to focus on the wrestling. And I love the fact that Maloney is intelligent enough, he's clever enough, and he's a good enough wrestler to tell that story in such a subtle way. Excellent. I have to admit, though, and this is a little bit of a controversial opinion in, in European wrestling, is that I find Shigehiro Irie quite boring. I don't really feel that he's anything particularly special he reminds me in a lot of ways I mean he is in his personality and he reminds me in a lot of ways of Brian Cage you know like the first time you see Brian Cage you, you know a PWG DVD or something you watch a match and you think this guy is the greatest wrestler who's ever lived he's got absolutely everything you know he's got He's got the size, he's got the look, he's got the crazy moves, the wrestling ability, all that sort of thing. But then you watch one match, and then you watch another, and then you watch another, 
and you realise they're kind of all the same. And I feel a bit like that about Irie. I think his personality and his natural charisma is so captivating that the first couple of times you watch him, you get really invested in him. But then as time goes on, I just feel a bit like oh, I've seen this match now. And I, I, by the way, I'm saying that willing to be proved wrong because, like I say, I've seen early reports from 16 Carat, and apparently it's absolutely fantastic. So we'll see. You know, it, it, I could be completely eating humble pie when we review Carrot, but at the minute I find Irie quite boring. But this, it didn't really matter in this match against Maloney because it was very much a story match. It was Maloney being battered. You know, he's getting his, his chest caved in with these big leaps from Irie and it it was great. You know, it was, it was again, captivated. It was a very literal telling of the story. I don't think it was... It was a, a particularly high-level telling of it because it was literally just someone being beaten down rather than having to sort of improve their wrestling skills. But it was it was good. And, you know, you got to see Maloney's literal strength with the deadlift, you know, and you got to see him move forward at the end by shaking his hand. And there was an amazing apron dive where he, you know, Maloney was sat on the apron and he booted him in the head almost like a like a really brutal baseball slide. So there was lots of stuff about it that was good, but it, it's kind of gentleman's three, this. You know what I mean? It's definitely interesting, though, if you're looking at it through the lens of Maloney's story. So even though the work is a gentleman's three, there was a lot more here that I enjoyed. Then we had a really boring Oku promo about Eddie Dennis. I wasn't even listening, to be honest with you. I switched off. It was crap. Who cares about Eddie Dennis in the Rumble? Who cares? Find me one person who cares about Eddie Dennis in the Rumble. And he said he's put his career on the line. Not bothered. If anything, I think if... Because say he wins the Rumble, that's bad. If he loses the Rumble, he retires. And I don't want anyone to feel like they've got to retire. So how do I feel about the Rumble now they've said that? They said he did his stories, completely ruined that Rumble. And it's a shame because they've really been building towards it. It's not something that's just happening on the calendar. It's, it's something that they're really building towards. But dropping this Eddie Dennis garbage in, for God's sake, Eddie Dennis. Eddie, did, like, he's the lead, he's, one of the, he's a perfectly fine person to have on the roster. I have nothing against Eddie Dennis in particular. But the idea that things should be moving around him and, yeah, no, garbage. Next up, we had Greedy Souls against Arrows of Hungry. And I love Arrows of Hungry. You know, I, I made no secret about it. I think they're my favourite tag team in Europe when I was the open out here. Uh, and I've, I've really been impressed with Greedy Souls lately. They've really turned things around. They're not the corny, cheesy heels that they used to be. They're bruisers. Still heels, but they're actual, actually wrestling, which I really like. And I think this match is one of the best matches Greedy Souls have had in a, in a while. Because... Greedy Souls really struggle with the slow wrestlers. Uh, sorry, with the fast wrestlers. But they thrive with this kind of slow, big man, brutal style. And no one does that big man, brutal style like Arrows of Hungry. Um, you know, Dover and White were just clubbing each other at, part, at parts in this. You know, they were definitely really feeling each other out. They set a really clear pace. Um, and it, it was really good. It was generally, though, quite dominant from Greedy Souls. You know, Arrows of Hungry were definitely worthy opponents. It wasn't a squash by any stretch. Of course it wasn't. But it really felt like Souls were getting the sorts of wins that champions need. 
you know, they were getting the definitive dominant wins. And I, I think that's great. I really do. Um, they've sort of been built up to being something to overcome. And beating teams like Arrows of Hungary are perfect for that. And that's something that I think Red Pro kind of lost a little bit. We, we talked about Robbie X quite a lot and about how he was losing and, and stuff like that. And it's nice to see some sort of dominance and some wins from a champion. Next up, we had Becky against Danny Luna. Again, talk about Maya Matthews um, benefiting from the turmoil in the women's division. Danny Luna's won too. And again, she was another one that I, when I first watched her, I thought, no, this is not going to work. But she's really turned things around and I really like Danny Luna. Becca, uh, this is, I think this is my first time seeing Becca. Uh, she's from Boston. She spells her name B3CCA, and apparently she's a pop star. You know, she's not someone that I've ever come across before. Looking at Cage Match, she works a lot in Beyond um, and and that sort of thing. Done, you know, does shots for um, Eve that sort of thing. She she got a um, bit of an AEW run in this. I think just just working dark matches as you know being jobbed out basically. Um, she didn't impress me here, to be honest with you. I thought she was rubbish. You know, nobody cared about it to start with, to be honest with you. That the crowd just died off completely, and and Becca was doing these weird cartwheel things that she couldn't really do. There were so many times in this where she do say a leap for, from the top rope, and somebody, you know, um, sorry, somebody, <laughs> Daddy Luna would move out the way about five minutes before she actually jumped off the rope and they'd still do the move. You know, commentary had to cover for the sloppy offence at times. You know, Becca was not good at all. At this, you know, she, Danny Luna deserved a little bit better, to be honest with you. Next up, we had a really exciting match. And exciting isn't a word I've used very much with Red Pro lately. But for some reason, something's happened to Andy. And he seems to want to book some different matches. And we had an eight-man tag team elimination match. And something, it's weird this, because this match really got me thinking about the Red Pro roster. Because I've been really critical of the Red Pro roster. And I've been calling it stale. I've been calling it flat. I'd be saying they'd be doing the same things over and over again. But listen to the talent that's in this match. It's Gabriel Kidd, Leon Slater, Luke Jacobs and Ricky Knight Jr. against Cameron Kai, Michael Oku, Robbie X and Zack Knight. With the exception of Cameron Kai, who's new, who's only just debuted, these are all people who've been booked consistently by RevPro for over a year now. And somehow it felt stagnant. And just looking at this match on paper and seeing these fa these guys face off in the ring made me realise how fantastic the Red Pro roster is and how good it feels to have it back with a little bit of fire and a little bit of, bit of ignition underneath it. You know, Slater came out first for this and he just got me excited. Slater's just a, a captivating personality and a, a real personality, but he can, he can grab a crowd and take them with them. Um, and everyone came out to just a different feel. You know, Jacobs looked terrifying. Ricky Knight Jr. felt like a star. Gabe Kidd was just un, just unearthly in the way he comes to the ring. He's terrifying the way he's jacked up and ready. 
Cameron Kai, his charisma has come on leaps and bounds. Michael Oku is Michael Oku. Robbie X is Robbie X. There was also Zack Knight who came out to crickets, but you know, <laughs> Zack Knight, Zack Knight at the end of the day, isn't it? Um, I mean, this is bad that this roster seems stale, isn't it? Was it small? Was the roster ever small or did it feel like it did? It was. And listen, perception is everything. Do you know what I mean? In wrestling especially, if it feels small and stagnant, it is small and stagnant. It doesn't matter that you've got eight great wrestlers here and you could probably book a whole promotion around. Because I mean, they're starting to do it here. Um, Chris Hatch, the referee, played a blinder in this, by the way. The way he allowed himself to be dwarfed and pushed around slightly by the wrestlers at the start really showed what a good referee could do. You know, the way the referee is always supposed to be the straight man. You know, in comedy, if you think of a classic example, it'd be something like The Office, where you've got Martin Freeman's character, Tim, who is the straight man. So you've got all this ridiculous stuff around him. You've got Gareth and his weirdness. You've got David Brent and his eccentricities and all that business. But then you've got just the normal man in the middle to make you realise that your reactions are justified, you know, to kind of direct you a little bit. And I think referees often play that role in wrestling and he did that really well here. Um, you know, X and Kid was just a whirlwind. You know, the way um, he stalked him. You know, the way Gabriel Kidd grabbed Robbie X's head and just dragged him around the ring was just fantastic. Oku Jacobs, we've seen this. We've seen all this before, but it just felt so fresh. You know, Slater and Kai, you know, Slater being too cocky and Cameron Kai, the younger wrestler, getting one up over on him. And I like the Slater and Kai thing because it's it's wrestlers who are very similar in terms of position. You know, Kai is obviously a step below Leon Slater, but the idea that the, that they would, you know, the, in a race, the fifth place car doesn't try and overtake the first place car. They've got to take over the fourth place car first. What a bad analogy. You know what I mean, though. Honestly, the weak link in this match was the Knights. They just, they did this spot I was, that really threw me out the match. And I think this is what stopped it being a really good match. And it's a real shame. Because what they did was they put four wrestlers on the corner and they did this really contrived spot where the Knights, each fireman's carried three the opposing team. So three men on the back. And on the surface of it, the spot's impressive, right? Because it's just a strength spot. And that's that sort of physicality. And some people, two people especially, being able to do that is really impressive. But compared to the natural dynamic energy of the first half of the match, this just felt very unnatural and very clunky. And it kind of threw me off a little bit. Um, I also didn't like the fact there was over-the-top rope elimination in this. I, I, just, it was, I get the building towards the rumble. I, I, underst I completely understand that. But there's just something about over-the-top elimination in this sort of thing that seems a little bit corny. And then Will Caven came out. And tickled people with chairs. He delivered chair spots so weak that I'm pretty sure I could take one to the back. And I have spina bifida. And sometimes I stand up too fast and have to immediately sit down because my back's that weak. 
You know what I mean? And I could have took one. And to be fair to him, he was laughing about it on Twitter. So I'm not I'm, I'm not laughing at him. I'm joining him with him because, like, but it, you, whatever. But it was absolutely awful. Um, yeah, he was, a, it was just a bit of bloody violence, this, and I really liked it. I just think the problem is that kind of middle bit and the chair, the you know, the chair shots and stuff kind of gave it a little bit of flab, which I didn't really enjoy. Um, but that was Red Pro Live at London 71. We'll be back to talk, to talk about Red Pro a little bit more later on, but let's talk about Windows Pro. I was so disappointed a couple of weeks ago that I couldn't talk about the Will Ospreay-Tristan Archer match because I was raving about Osprey a couple of weeks ago and he had this little run of matches with Red Pro that I, I loved them all for very different reasons. The Jacobs one's probably my favourite because um, of the, the bit of reality that it had to it. and the, uh, I, I just like Luke Jacobs anyway. But everybody that I spoke to said, no, this one is better. This is the best match that Osprey had that weekend. And it was Osprey against Tristan Archer for Reese Wrestling in France. And they've uploaded the show. And the first thing that hit me about this is how amazing the production was. It was beautifully shot. There was a great sound. And a lot of that was energy from the crowd. But when you come off watching Red Pro now, whenever you watch any other promotion, the differences are so stark. It's it's embarrassing what Red Pro are doing at the moment. And I don't know if it's that juxtaposition that makes it seem better than it was, but I thought the Reese production was superb. And what really got this over the edge was the energy from the crowd, the chants and the yelling for Osprey and Archer. It was a very real reactive crowd and it elevated everything that we were seeing to a different level. I mean, this match was great. It's it's pretty much everything everybody said it was going to be. You know, it it was a really, really great match. Um, It's the Osprey effect, I suppose, in a lot of ways, isn't it? The Osprey turns up to a place and it immediately gets eyes on it and it immediately makes you think, oh, I should watch this promotion more. And and there's just something really valuable about an Osprey to the British and European wrestling scene. You know, that they can book him and get eyes on a promotion and then people stick around. And I'll probably stick around and watch some more recently. Not a promotion that I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever seen before. I think I've seen bit. I'm sure Ian Hamilton would have recommended a match to me. You know, I've watched it. But yeah, it was really good. Um, what I liked about this is that the opening, there were no counters. It wasn't this weird thing where they were just feeling each other out and testing each other. and doing, They just started wrestling, you know. And it was like... Uh, I. Uh, Archer knew that if he was going to win this, he had to win it quickly. He had to take Will Ospreay by surprise. He couldn't afford to let this match go under Ospreay's control. And they they wrestled to that. They wrestled to the wider wrestling world. I've been thinking about this a little bit because it was something that Tony Khan said that really made me think about how he said, AEW isn't a universe in and of itself. AEW exists in the wrestling universe. And because of the way Archer wrestled, I could see that this match did too. And I really like that. What's great about Osprey as well is, and this really sticks it to that old man wrestler, the idea that people like Osprey who do all this amazing stuff, can't tell stories and all that garbage. What he was able to do here brilliantly was just build to a chop having a massive impact. 
and it, it really puts that theory to test that you're either telling stories or you're doing moves. And the idea that the two can't coexist is nonsense. You know, there was loads of great little moments in this with Osprey telling a great story. Like he insulted Archer at one point by doing a body slam, then an elbow drop, and then going for a pin. Like just a bog-standard elbow drop. And how often do you see Will Osprey do that? It was positioning Archer as being beneath him. I really liked that. And then the end was just well-placed kickouts, big moves, and you know Archer's not going to win this, but they made you believe that he could, and you're asking, can you, can he, all the way through? And I love the way Osprey sometimes builds his finishes. You know, like this kind of babyface Osprey, he doesn't want to just hurt his opponent. So he, he'll build up his finishes. You know, we'll go from the Oscutter. Okay, Oscutter didn't work. We'll do the um, Stormbreaker. Stormbreaker didn't work. Okay, so we'll do the... Um, Hidden Blade, I got three moves right in a row. Ha <laughs> ha, go me. Um, and I just I just thought this was a great match. It's free. You've got to check it out. You really do. Anyway, we've popped over to France. Let's pop back to that London for a show in a library. Obviously, we can't have a purpose wrestling show go by without reviewing it um i subscribe to the patreon and i recommend you do as well if you like the sort of wrestling that i like really and it's weird with purpose because there's just it's often a little bit intangible what i like about them there's just a feel about that promotion that i really relate to and a lot of the time they do you know, on every show, there's going to be a little bit of comedy wrestling that's just not really for me. You know, the main event of this had Curtis Chapman in, which isn't really going to be for me. But there's always going to be a couple of matches that really speak to me. I don't. Maybe it's because it's in a library, and that kind of weirdness. I I I really like. I I don't I don't know what it is or why, but this promotion. Do you know what? I do know why. I'm saying that. It's because they are banging matches. And at least once a show, there's going to be one or two matches that are absolutely killer. That's why I really like them. And it started off with David Francisco against Michael Oku. And this is just a really cool little story. Just that simplicity that I was talking about earlier on. You've got Michael Oku who is essentially running roughshod around this small independent promotion and just not really being very nice and getting too big for his boots and just being a little bit of an arsehole. And at the last show, David Francisco came out and said, look, Michael, people are sick of you. People are sick and tired of you behaving like this when we're all just trying to become better wrestlers and we're trying to, you know, have this competition going and we've got to deal with you being a knobhead. And he says, right, I'm going to teach you a lesson then. So they have this match. And I really like that as an opener. Um, the I think Purpose, the last couple of shows, have slipped into just having a comedy match as the opener. And that doesn't really grab me as much as, it, as, as just wrestling. Really good wrestling. And that's what this was. It was Oku getting the lesson. And Oku was absolutely fantastic at playing the petulant child here. I really enjoyed the way he was able to have this sulky face. You know, it's a different Oku in purpose. And it's, it's, it shows how many strings he's got to his bow. And obviously, Francisco's just a, a great wrestler. You know, he's, he's, he's got that thing of, of, of being sloppy but captivating at the same time. You know, 
not sloppy as in botching. He's not botching, but he's he's doing things that aren't quite picture perfect. But it, it really works. Um, they, this was a lot more competitive than Oku was expecting it to be, and they played that off really well. Um, and Oku won. And what again? Talk about these lovely little moments of story. There was a bit in this at the end where Oku left. And they were kind of doing that thing that's become a little bit cliched now, where the losing wrestler gets the applause in the ring and gets the appreciation from the crowd of, oh, you might not have won, but there's almost something a little bit kayfabe-breaking about that, isn't it? It's, it's appreciation of the craft of wrestling. I'm not not criticising that, by the way. I've nothing against it. I just it, it just is what it is. But then Oku snuck in the ring and punched him in the dick. Which I thought was really funny. So Francisco's getting this loser's applause. And then Oku comes in and just gives him a low blow. And I thought that was a really great way to end it. Um, just what an interesting little um, interesting little nugget. Uh, next up, we had um, Sapphire Reed against Harry Chapman. Um, this was fine. You know, nothing wrong with it. It just it, it was what it was. Um, now, next one, we had a really interesting match. And we had teams with attitude against Sunshine Machine. Now, Teams with Attitude contains Mark True. Mark True, T-R-E-W, is someone who came on the radar last year in the purpose match with Dan Maloney. And I think he might be a little bit of a hidden talent. He's very, very raw at the minute. You know, he's certainly not somebody who is ready for a push or, or not well not like on a, on any kind of level yet. I think it would be detrimental to him. He's, he's still working things out, do you know what I mean? And I think purpose is a great place for him to be. Um so I'm always really interested to see his name. And here he's teaming with uh Kieran Lacey. Again, another young wrestler, not one that I particularly know. Um they were both really impressive. I think a lot of this was to do with Sunshine Machine as well because, again, they, what I like about Purpose Wrestling is that they tell the story that's there. You know, the idea that this young team would come out and go 50-50 with one of the greatest tag teams in the country in kayfabe terms, and real terms as well, obviously, but, you know, in kayfabe terms, isn't realistic. You know, they would, they'd get hope spots. that It'd be... It'd be clutching at straws to maybe try and pull things through and, th- and that's how they wrestled this and I thought it was great and do you know what also it was just a load of speed and a load of action you know there was just loads of cool stuff in this and they, it seems like p- Purpose just let the wrestlers go wild and put on these amazing spectacles Um, you know a traditional structure you know the hot tag and all that business but there was like I say spectacular action and loads of little cool little story things to, to, to chew on you know with um, Sunshine Machine acting like the veterans, you know, cutting off the ring and all those other cliches, but overall having a really exciting match. The only thing that needs to change, the only thing that absolutely needs to change is the name of True and... Uh... In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates... It's all just a shot in the dark until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. 
I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. And you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network what's going on guys this is rich from the flagship podcast here on the voice of wrestling podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell, all three in one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. The Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking again 0.3 seconds it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock and with the ai self-learning chip embedded the more you use it the more accurate it will be also no battery anxiety you have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out. Uh, passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2K clear sight. See who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service. Yuffie's got you 
handled as well. They are on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys, reach in my pocket, or wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. One second. Door is unlocked. Much, much easier. So if you want to jump on board with Eufy Video Lock, search Eufy Video Lock. That is E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Again, that's Eufy Video Lock, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Kieran's um, uh, tag team. Teens with attitude. Teens with it sounds like something that, like a, a BBC education would do, to try and engage fourteen-year-olds in maths intervention. You know, I, I think teens with attitude, awful name, awful name, and I don't think I'll get used to it. Next up, we had Connor Mills against Maya Matthews, and these are two wrestlers who, for me, in the last six months, their stock has increased exponentially. I feel like I've always been very, very critical of Connor Mills. I don't think I ever really got him until about six months ago. And it was funny because you'd look at the quality of his work and what he was capable of doing, and you'd think, yeah, it's good, he should get a push. Or, you know, that teaming with Oku is the perfect thing for him. But even during that story with Oku in the breakup, I was still very shaky on him and I was walking a bit of a tightrope with him. But then something happened. He cut his hair, he changed his look and there's something about his work now that is great. He wrestles like a veteran. He's got that assured easiness of someone who knows exactly what they're doing. And it helps that's part of the character as well, which is fantastic. But he's something's clicked must be that old, you know, that old cliche of wrestlers where, you know, their body essentially starts up at the top and their mind starts at the bottom. And as their career goes on, their body goes down and their mind goes up. And there's a point where those two factors cross over and that's when wrestlers do their best work. You know, when they've still got enough of their body left to be able to do the great things their mind is able to think up now. And I think Mills is at that point. And I hope... I mean, I know he's got a cruiserweight title shot, hasn't he, coming up for Red Pro. I hope they do something with him, you know, because I, I, the Oku story was good, but I hope he gets the chance to really put together a bit of an opus somewhere, like, as in a more wrestling-focused opus, because I think he's he's earned it. And again, Maya Matthews, su- that superhuman selling things you can do is really hard. You know, by that I mean almost no selling. You know, you'll get beaten down, beaten down, beaten down, and then at the last bit of a match you'll kick out at one, you know, and, and hulk up. And for a lot of people, and for most people actually, I would say, that can come across as really corny and cheesy, and Maya Matthews can, can pull it off, and I, I really like that about her. Next up, we had Ollie Peace against Nino Bryant. And 
I really like this match. I thought this was a great match. And this is what sums up um, a promotion-like purpose. Because you've got two wrestlers who aren't really being booked anywhere else. Uh, certainly not in promotions that I watch anyway. But they're allowing them to chew and tell a little story. And they're, both wrestlers are passionate enough and love it enough to grasp it with both hands. And they're telling a brilliant story. You know, the whole thing is with Ollie Peace is that Nino Bryant built, uh, beat him in about three seconds. And the commentary, again, talk about these little subtle things. The commentary keeps saying that that is the shortest match in purpose wrestling history. And he was the one who got beat. And that's lit this fire under him and it's made him so angry and annoyed and what a great little story to sink your teeth into what a brilliant idea you know and this is this has wound ollie peace up so much that now he wants these street fights and these no dq matches because he's got to prove something to to everybody to himself um i think that's great um I imagine Nino Bryant would be really popular with kind of like a young crowd as well. You know, he's he's got that kind of young baby face. He almost gives the impression that he's out of his depth, but then he overcomes the odds, you know, and, and he's really good at putting that across. Um, yeah, he was this again. Nino Bryant will take a big bump as well. You know, he'll take a backbreaker into some chairs, you know, and I, I think it's cool that what they do with Nino Bryant is because he's clearly being pushed but he's not ready for kind of main event championship pushes yet you know i don't think he's at that point so they're almost giving him this side quest and you know this if you think if you've ever done any sort of teaching and you look at the way progress works is you know progress and pushes aren't a straight line they're going to be jaggedy and have diversions and sometimes go up and sometimes go down uh, i think by giving nino bryant these little realistic stories it just it gives him so much more of a character because as a wrestler I might have forgotten about him I'd, I might have done you know he's 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 not got an impressive look really his work's really good you know it's never going to blow me away but what his strength is is to be able to tell these stories and purpose of recognize that and are telling the stories with him and I think that's great the main event was Jordan Brakes against Curtis Chapman. Um, obviously, this started off as a, as a comedy thing. They were doing, you know, the crowd of chant Lucha and they do Lucha and the crowd of chant tag team. There was some, some weird tag team thing. But once the match got going, it was it was actually really good. You know, you forget that Curtis Chapman is a good wrestler, you know. Um, but I think from this show, the ones to check out, uh, the Oli Peace Nino Bryant, I thought that was good. I thought the teams of that attitude against Sunshine Machine was really good as well. And the Francisco against, I mean, three matches worth checking out. You know what I mean? How many shows get that? You know, I, I think it's such a shame that Purpose Wrestling, uh, they seem to be, and I, I don't know anything here. I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not sort of hinting that I, I, I do know anything because I genuinely don't. But they've been quite open on their... Um, their Patreon about how hard it is to run an independent promotion in this day and age and, and how they're kind of teetering a little bit. And it's great to see them have a show and they've got another one coming back up uh, soon as well. I think it's called Sailor V, is it? When is it? Yeah, Sailor V on the 12th of May. Another Friday. If they ever do a Saturday show, I'm going to go down and spend my evening watching wrestling in a library. Anyway, we book it in with Red Pro, so let's get back to Stevenage to talk about Raw Deal. 
Okay, so we're back in Stevenage, uh, back for Raw Deal. Um, and again, we're starting with Suji against Gale. Now, I know I've not seen that match, but a Gale beats Suji again. Um, kind of makes me wonder a little bit sometimes. You know, Do you think Andy ever regrets putting everything on a streaming service? Because, obviously, back in the day, you wouldn't have watched all of these shows. You know what I mean? You wouldn't have podcasts like this, watching everything, talking about everything, breaking it down in absolute minute detail. So you, you could have JJ Gale against Yota Suji twice, and that wouldn't be an issue, and it'd be great. But now I'm looking at it thinking, okay, why are they doing this again? And I haven't seen the first one, because I say they messed up the, uh, they messed up the VOD, didn't they? But... It's it's a funny one this because they sort of had the um the, the Red Pro Rumble is coming into this and Yota Suji has put up his place in the Red Pro Rumble and if JJ Gale beats him then he's going to take that place so it was kind of interesting to have that and then have him lose again Yota Suji it's almost certain he's on his way out um and again don't know anything but it's it certainly seems that way and they're doing it the right way um. And this, to me, just... This got the idea of an opener perfectly. You know, you want to see your opener just a bit of action. And he had action right from the start. You know, Gale was absolutely dominant. And I tell you something. I think Suji has been... For the last few months of this excursion, I think he's been amazing. I really do. I think he's absolutely ready to go back. I didn't think Shota Aminu was. But the way he's got this cocky character perfectly sort of realized and established and the sort of in second as well like i'm not saying established with me because obviously he is i i know what he does but i really think that when suji comes out you just go okay this guy's cocky this guy's arrogant you know the way he wrestles he'll put you know in this pot he put jj gale in a submission and he was slapping him at the same time and doing that old insulting body slam you know, the just these really basic moves to the wrestler who, <coughs> excuse me, he probably sees as like a little young boy or something. He's just, I think Yota Suji has been great. Um, so I'm a little bit sad that his run seems to be coming to an end because, like I say, he's 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 in a bit of a funny position. You know, naturally, maybe it's because of, of what we're watching and what we're looking at. We'll compare him to Shota Umino. And I think Umino's going to get the push in New Japan and Suji isn't. And I just hope that they stick with him and they really do something with him. Be interesting to see where he lands because there's that bit of a Gideon Grey connection. I wonder how far that goes in somewhere like New Japan. You know, like, if, clearly it's an Osprey connection, isn't it? So there's a little bit of a, a degree of separation there. But it'd be really interesting to see what he ends up doing. Because, you know, Shota Umanu and Great Okan have done the exact gimmick they were doing on Excursion. You know, th it wasn't kind of like the days of um, Sho and Yo and... Uh, what's it called? The greatest junior heavyweight wrestler of all time. Um I nearly said Yujiro, and Yujiro is not the greatest anything of all time. Hiromu, I don't know why I nearly said Yujiro. Uh, you know, Hiromu did the, you know, his completely different gimmick and things. So the idea now that they establish themselves in the gimmick, I think is exciting because we're going to get to see Yota Suji just be what he's been on this excursion. And what he's been has been fantastic. Next up, we have Connor Mills against TK Cooper. I think they've got the Sunshine Machine 
wind down perfect. I think they've got it done perfectly. The idea that now TK Cooper is just going on a little bit of a singles run and every now and then the commentary will just mention that they're preparing for Tag League. You know, they've had that match against Greedy Souls, though, the three matches against Greedy Souls. They were fairly soundly defeated. They're preparing for Tag League. And again, I know that sounds like such a me thing to pick up, just a little thing that just feels like a throwaway line. But those things just add so much weight to wrestling. And I think sometimes the Red Pro... In fact, let's talk about Red Pro commentary, actually, because I've got a few things to say about them. I think Geo, who seems to be the regular commentary guy now, has been generally pretty good. I think Andy Quilden's always been good, and there's a, there's a lot to be said about the booker commentating because he knows the stories, he knows what's going on, so it's it, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it, that the booker would make a good commentator. They know what they want to get over more intimately than anybody else. Um, so, yeah, Andy Quilden. And also, there's such something warming about Andy Quilden. I, I don't know what it is. You know, I've never spoke to the guy. Um, I've never met him. But there's just something about him that you think, oh, yeah, th- th- this guy's sort of a fellow wrestling spirit, isn't he? You know, he's, he's kind of one of us in a way. Um, and he can put that across without it being corny. He's genuine in his love of wrestling and love of what he does. You know, when he shouts about the sport of professional wrestling, you kind of believe him. And I think he's really good at dropping in those little moments of reality. I think Geo is doing well. I think the problem with Geo at the minute is he can often go into just wrestling commentary sort of almost automa. So we'll say things like the immovable for the what's it, the in, in unstoppable force and immovable object or whatever it is. Or, you know, just little cliches like that. And you just think, why are you saying that? Like you're just doing commentary. Do you know what I mean? You're just saying things that commentators say. And I think he needs to be a little bit aware of and shades of he says that quite a bit as well shades of this and shades of that and that's obviously very much a wrestling cliche at the minute in terms of commentary so you know it's it's, it's been a little bit hit and miss really Uh, but generally i think it's hitting you know there's been little moments in this show in particular where they do things like um i think andy would say like i have considered making a closed fist legal in rev pro because referees don't really enforce it and it gives wrestlers who like to follow the rules strictly a little bit of a disadvantage so if i made it legal they would feel comfortable doing it and it would make the wrestling more competitive and i know again that's just such a little silly throwaway thing isn't it what essentially a stupid idea but i thought oh yeah that's really interesting. And I just I love I love things like that. I love people when they're in wrestling who who are able to make it feel a little bit more real. You know, I don't want spooky Bray Wyatt magic. I want people to make I want make it feel real. And it's little moments and little lines like that that do. It shows that they really care about wrestling or the sport of professional wrestling, as Andy screams every now and then on the on, on the shows. You know, so I really get into it when when things like that happen. Um, 
the match was okay, you know, Bills gets, it was exciting, it was pretty long, actually, uh, it was like 16 minutes, was it? Yeah, it was like 16, 17 minutes, but I, I think it, it, it didn't outstay its welcome, it was, it was interesting all the way through, um, I, again, I'm seeing this improvement from Milzer. I don't. I know it's not just a look. He's smoother. He's technically better. He's he knows when to look at the camera. He knows when to place moves a little bit more. Mills is a wrestler I'm really excited about at the minute. And TK Cooper. I wonder if his time has passed. You know, I don't know. Like, have we seen the peak of TK Cooper? Because there was a while. Back in the progress days, where he felt like a legitimate star. He was overshadowed slightly by some other people, but he felt like the star to me. He felt like the better of that tag team. And he's a bit quieter now. And I get the the team with uh, you know, the Sunshine Machine thing. You know, I think that's a great idea, it, but it, it feels like it's something to do for him and I wonder if he could take a push now if something were to happen to him could his shoulders bear it like he could have done five years ago you know have we seen the peak of TK Cooper and in a way I think it would be a, sh- be a shame if we have because I think he's he's been an exceptional talent and an exceptional aid to the scene I don't know it's funny isn't it Sometimes we have to be content with people we like being mid-carders. That's a very WWE attitude, isn't it, I think? To think that your, your quote, your favourites and the people that you like should be pushed to the top. And if, if they're not pushed to the top, that means their career doesn't have any worth. I mean, all the best wrestlers... You know, what's the best WWF belt? It's the Intercontinental, isn't it? You know, what's the best New Japan belt? It was the Intercontinental. You know, it's always the cruiserweights or the juniors that have the more interesting matches for me. So the idea that someone's at the, not been at the top of the card is any kind of insult. I think, you know, you're listening to the wrong show if you think that. Um, what I liked about the ending of this match, the Mills versus TK Cooper match, was that Mills just knocked him out. You know, they said it was technically a pinfall, but look, he was clearly knocked out there. And he just booted him in the head and put him away. And it was a hard-fought match with a sudden ending. And I like that about this. I, th- I think this was a really good match. Next up, we have Mercedes Blaze against Chantel Jordan. Mercedes Blaze, again, is another wrestler that I think has improved so much. She used to make me cringe and it was such a shame because she's a really interesting wrestler. She's clearly very raw in the way that she wrestles. Like She's got that thing we talked about about being a little bit sloppy, but in an exciting way. But there was just something about the way she carried herself. You know, she was like, I'm going to be a heel, so I'm going to wind up children in the audience, and I'm going to insult people. And She still does that, but she's learned to just turn it down a little bit. You know, it's not as egregious as it was, and that that really helps. Because she's got some really great offense. She's weird offense in a weird way. Like the way she kind of scrambles around on the ropes is odd. Like she'll she'll crawl on people's backs and then flip round and and, and I, I don't know, it's really odd and really interesting. Um I think she's a lot tidier 
you know, she still goes to the level of her opponent, and that's always been the criticism of Mercedes Blaze, is that she's only as good as the person she's in the ring with. She's never going to take the lead, really. And um, Chantel Jordan, I think, is, is great. Um, she's believable, she's real, um, and this match had a lot to chew on, and I think that when um, Alex Windsor does come back, I think she's going to come back to a healthier division than when she left. Um, well, left, got injured. It's just we've got a few moving pieces now. You know, we did the list of men's talent before. Now we've got Chantel Jordan, Mercedes Blaze, Sky Smithson, Danny Luna, and Alex Windsor when she comes back. Now, they're five great wrestlers. Uh, I think they're five wrestlers who Andy has built really slowly. And often there's been times when I've been really critical of the women's division and thinking, oh, we, you know, uh, we need to just do something now. We need to put, when actually he's kind of slowly done the lot and built a hole. And I think the women's division now is reaching the point now where it's time to do something good. You know, it's time to have those great matches. And I think they've got the talent there to do it. And I can't wait to see it. Next up, we had Cameron Kai and Michael Oku against Gabriel Kidd and Leon Slater. And talking about RevPro shaking things up, how unlike RevPro is this? To just throw together the stars who are building up to programs into a little tag team match. A great idea. A perfect idea. I love it. I think they should do it more often. Um, but yeah, so when you see these things, you think, oh yeah, this is a bit different now. This is a little bit more interesting. What a really interesting thing to have done. Um, I like it. I like it a lot. Cameron Kai is one to watch, and we've talked about him a little bit, so I think it's worth now we'll spend a little bit more time on him. He's clearly got a great look. I mean, he's 17 years old and absolutely jacked up to his gills. You know, he's he's built. You know, he's, he's he looks fantastic. He's sort of grown his hair out as well, and I think I think he looks great. I really do. But what a lot of these younger wrestlers are struggling with is the charisma. You know, and that's right, isn't it? That's the way round you do it. You know, you spend so much time be working to be safe, um, working to be interesting, and all that business, working to work, I suppose. And the charisma kind of comes later. And I think Cameron Kai is starting to build this great little charisma of being an angry young man. You know, like he's he's he's. he's he wants to, you know, he plays by the rules, you know, he doesn't cheat or anything, but he will not be insulted. He will not be criticized, you know, he, he can lose matches. Like with this, he took the pin in this, and Leon Slater stood over him, flexing his muscles and things like that, and the look on his face was excellent. The anger and the fury, not that he'd been pinned, but that he was being insulted. And I like that, this idea of a young man desperate to prove himself and getting really angry when it, it, it doesn't quite work. Um, I'm into this Kidoku feud. I thought the match they had a couple of weeks ago was all right. I quite enjoyed it. But, you know, Kid just smashing Oku out of nowhere. This was, was great. You know, because Oku's selling to somebody like Kid uh, who can do brutality so well. You know, there's just a bit of bloody good action here. You know, the way... Kid comes across as being absolutely terrifying, you know, and I thought it was it was really good, you know, and like I say, Slater and um, and 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 Cameron Kai is the other pairing, and it was just really exciting uh, action all the way through. 
you know, just, just, just great stuff. And it just shows, doesn't it? Sometimes things just need shaking up a little bit. And booking these guys in tag teams has really worked. Next up, we had Callum Newman against Ricky Knight Jr. This one kind of came out of nowhere. What a weird match. Um, I'm at this point now with Callum Newman. And I'm going to call it the Luke Jacobs moment because it was a big theme of the podcast for the first six months or so of us doing it. There's sort of stages in wrestlers' careers, isn't there? So you, a lot of Brit rest at the minute is dominated by all these wrestlers in the first part of their career. So, we, you know, we're talking about the Cameron Kai's and the Leon Slaters a minute ago. You know, talking about the Joe Landos and talking about the... Um, I don't know, you know, name your young wrestler, doesn't matter. And they get that establishment period, don't they, where you forgive things. And rightly so. I'm not saying that that's that's wrong, of course you do. They're young, they're working out what they can do. You know, you hope they don't get pushed too soon, like happened like what happened to the previous generation before them. And you know, you just give them time to breathe and you give them time to sort of settle into things. But there comes a point where with every young wrestler, where you've got to say, right, okay, now you need to start showing us something. Like Luke, J- like happened with Luke Jacobs. It was at the point where he was showing a lot of potential over and over again. He was consistently showing potential over and over again. They were getting rave reviews on like the Ogden's podcast and places like that. You know, the people who are really into the, that sort of level of wrestling, who were really on the lookout for that, that new and exciting talent. But there comes a point, like I say, where you say, all right, show me something. And Luke Jacobs was at that point, and in the last six months or so, he's really shown us something. He's having consistently four-star plus matches. He's got that character down, that bruiser that comes out and struts his way to the ring. That intimidating thing. You know, the match with Osprey was great. You know, the match against Oku in Manchester was great. You know, when I think of him now, I think of moments that were fantastic. I think Callum Newman's at that point now. I think Callum Newman is at the point where he needs to start showing us some great matches. He's shown us great moves. He's shown us a great amount of potential. But we need to start seeing a great, you know, a great match to start with. My advice, for what it's worth, and, you know, I understand that thing of, you know, who am I to give out advice to a young wrestler? What do I know? But what what I would say to any young wrestler is if you want to get good at wrestling, you need to be in places that do wrestling. You don't need to be in places where you're getting stabbed. And I know that's easy for me to say. Because I look at my ratings for this podcast and the shows where I talk about progress do immeasurably better than the shows where I don't. And I'm not making money off this. You know what I mean? I'm doing this because I love it and because I'm passionate about it. I'm not going to make it my career. I've no intention of making it my career. I'm never setting up a Patreon. I'm never doing anything like that. I'm just talking to my friends about wrestling. When you want to build a career in something, that's when you have to start making compromises a little bit. And I understand why people go to progress. But when I look at people like a Callum Newman and a Ricky Knight Jr. 
I see them in progress and I see them in RevPro. I think that's this has got to be part of that show me something thing. It's not just a case of, uh, you know, have going out and having a good match. You've got to show us that you want to be a proper wrestler. Well, actually, scrap that. You don't have to show me anything. You can do you do you. You'll do what you want. You know, who am I to tell you where to go? But I just think there's a lot to be said for credibility, isn't there? There's a lot to be said for credibility. I'll leave that at that. You know what I'm getting at here. I thought this match was was all right, to be honest with you. Um, I don't think this was the match where Callum Newman showed us what he can do. I mean, it's not like you get one bite of the cherry. You know, there's still time to go. Um, but it was a very different style of match for Callum because it was very slow. Um, it was a few awkward dives, you know, where things didn't quite land the way they should have done. Um, he, he was just a little bit flat, to be honest with you. I think Ricky Knight Jr. is really trying to slow things down um, a little bit. He's trying to, when he can and in situations like this, come across as a bit of a bully, a bit of a bruiser. Um, and that's fine, but I prefer the fast Ricky Knight Jr. And when this did speed up, I think it was already in the doldrums a little bit. I think the, the whole match just fell a little bit flat which is is a shame because on paper it should have been really good. But yeah, Callum Newman shows what he can do. Next up, we had Jack Morris against Dan Maloney as Maloney goes on this uh, run to try and see uh, Osprey at York Hall. I don't get this Jack Morris thing. I mean, he's suddenly in nowhere and he's suddenly a guy we're all talking about. He's a very much a jaggedy-jag, isn't he? He's just sort of... And he's fine... There's nothing about him that is inherently offensive. He's a perfectly competent wrestler. It's weird, isn't it? It's weird that he's off in Noah and then coming here and pretending to run away from the wrestler that he's scared of in a sort of almost borderline comedy campsite kind of way. I don't know. I don't I don't really get what's going on with Jack Morris. He was some he's just It's weird. You know what this is, is that we talked about it before, that Borgia cultural capital. That if I say this wrestler's coming from Noah, you've got certain expectations. And even the fact that Noah isn't really, you know, it's not Mitsuharu Mizawa's Noah anymore, is it? You know, but he still has those expectations with it. And somebody like Jack Green and Chris Ridgway, even though they're going to Noah and it's not really Noah, it's still like, oh yeah, Noah, you know, I'll stop saying Noah. Um, what I did like about this is it went straight to fighting, you know, um, and again, Maloney was getting beaten down for a lot of this, you know, but unfortunately, you know, like I say, um, Jack Morris does things like pokes to the eyes, um, being a bit panto. It's all part of the Maloney story, though, and we know where it's going. Main event time, then, and it was Rich Swan against Robbie X, and this is exactly how Robbie X should be used. This is what I've been shouting about for months now, that Robbie X should be used against the import. And actually, I think I might have to admit that that might not be 100% right. It isn't. I think it's a little bit context-dependent, that, isn't it? The issue I had with this was that... I don't know. It was just... It felt like Rich Swan was in, in import mode. And I get why he would be, because he's 
an import, isn't he? He's coming to to wrestle in a promotion that's that's going to be a, an occasional thing for him. But it, it just that affects the whole match, you know. Um, okay, there was lots of great spots in this, but there was also dancing as well. And I think my issue with it was is that it felt like a little bit forced main event style. You know, I don't see why if a wrestler like Robbie X, who wrestles incredibly fast, fast-paced, and he does all sorts of exciting things, I don't understand why if it's in the main event we have to go, okay, let's have a slow match now. And he wasn't slow. It, you know, there was plenty of fast parts in this in action, but overall it was quite slow and it was longer. You know, according to Cage Match, it was, he says as he closes the window, it was 21 minutes. So it wasn't crazy long, but it was relatively long. And I think, well, if Robbie X is better at doing 15-minute matches, why don't you just do 15-minute matches? So I came away from this giving it, I think, the gentleman's four. As in, it was good, it was clearly good, and I could see the live crowd really enjoyed it. I just never... I'm never going to watch it again and never going to think about it again. Anyway, next up, we're going to talk about something really exciting. Uh, a favourite promotion of ours. We're going to go over to Germany and talk about the GWF. I know we kind of dip in and out of GWF a little bit on the show, but I, I know I couldn't let the light heavyweight cup go without talking about it because i i really enjoyed that show last year i had like three four star plus matches on it i mean i love junior wrestling anyway um i was just really ready to enjoy this um it's free on youtube they have this this fantastic model where they stream it live and you can donate and then you know people are just chucking a euro two euros at them uh throughout the show and I, I think that's a really nice way of doing it i mean I, I don't know if it's sustainable or what but look as always the gwf production the graphics the sound the visuals great um let's just go through the matches then um we don't need to spend too long on this one i know we're running out of time um i have to say i was a little bit disappointed it was definitely a lot weaker than last year um it didn't really have the star power that last year had, you know, there's no sense of Volto, uh, you know, people like that that were in it last year. And but, um, we started with uh, Tim Steubing uh, um, defeating Crowchester. Um, Steubing's a bit local baddie. Um, I mean, it, it's cool with with this crowd because they, they don't seem to get much in the way. It's not like WXW where people go over to Oberhausen to see a snail and watch the wrestling. You don't really get that. Um, but. They get that local crowd who are very much behind the local wrestlers, and Tim Steubing kind of has that feeling. Um, my problem with this match was it was a little bit confused at times. Like, Crowchester would just stop selling at certain points. Um, he'd sell really well and then just stop and do some good moves. Um, it was great. You know, it's weird, actually, because I'm looking at my notes from this, and again, it's like we were talking about with purpose. I shouldn't really like this match, but actually, I ended up thinking it was quite good because GWF have just got a charm to them. They've got a feeling. You know, where you said progress have a feeling, and I don't know what it is. It's just GWF have something like where the crowd react to things that just elevate things to a level that's probably higher than it should be. Um, 
I had a little bit of a revelation with this one. We had um, the next match was Callum Newman, who we just finished talking about, and this wasn't the match, by the way. Uh, but we had a horror, a hoorah. And I, I've never really been a huge fan of him. I, I always thought Ahura was okay. He was fine. But something's happened to him in the last few months where his character and the way he wrestles has started to really click. You know, the way he's the smartest man in the room. So he'll dodge punches. You know, that sort of thing. He'll pick baby faces apart. I really like that. And you can sort of forgive the weird wheelbarrow spots and stuff. Um, because he's an incredible, captivating character. There's something about Ahuru's eyes that tell stories that I really like. Again, this wasn't the Callum Newman performance that we're waiting for. Uh, Peter Tiani and LJ Cleary was next. Uh, LJ Cleary came out to absolute crickets, which is actually impressive for GWF. To get the GWF crowd to be silent almost deserves credit. Um, but Tiani's a star. You know, I think, again, Tiani, I'm at the point with him now where I don't think he needs to have the good match like Newman does because he's had loads. I think he's at the point now where he needs bigger stages. I don't necessarily mean new promotions, you know, for HCW or WXW. These are some of the biggest stages we've got. But I feel like he really needs to start getting pushed properly in big places. You know, that's kind of the experience and the level that he needs. Uh, but I think it'll come. Um, it kind of made me nostalgic for the days. You know, when like PWG would get really excited about a scene. You know, imagine PWG invited the Arrows of Hungary and um, Peter Tiani over to do a couple of matches. That'd be really good. Um this match was a little bit plodding. Uh, next, it was okay. Next up, we had Marius Alani against Itak Baha. I've not seen Itak for ages. Um, so I was really interested to see his growth. Don't know why he's in a junior um, <laughs> tournament, because he's a he's a hoss. Uh, it's unfortunate he was against Alani here, because Alani's definitely got a ceiling. Uh, we talked earlier on, didn't we, about all the old school guys about, you know, this they all want you to wrestle like Marius Alani. And it's boring and it's rubbish, isn't it? It's absolutely rubbish. You know, the commentary at one point said Wunderbar transition. I didn't see any Wunderbar transitions. I saw rubbish, boring ones and going back to putting people in submissions. I, I just didn't enjoy it at all. Um, so, not great so far. This is the match that I would seek out, though. John Klinger against Mike DiVecchio. I really like Mike DiVecchio. I think he's he's a dumb jock idiot who does stupid things and he's jacked up and wants a fight. And they're the kind of wrestlers that I like. Uh, you know, the whole thing was just that sort of meathead stuff, like Vecchio being caught and dropped on the apron and things like amazing springboards and, you know... Clinger, it was a bit hit and miss for me, but he'd do something like he'd hit a power move, then he'd light up a cigarette and start smoking in the ring. You know, the international side of being a badass, lighting a cigarette. You know, it, you know, wrenching into power bombs and all sorts of stuff. And the ending was amazing. It was just big move after big move. It was a superplex into a pile driver and then into a pinfall. And I, I thought this match was really good. And this is the one uh, worth seeking out. 
because the next couple, uh, things like Team Crazy Sexy against the Kendo Boys is not worth seeking out. And neither's Pascal Spalter against Kodai Nazaki for the GWF World Heavyweight title. It was a bit rubbish. The final... Uh, so basically, the way it works is anyone that won the qualifying matches goes through to the final. And it's a four-way. Um, and it was Baha, Ahura, Tiani and Stubin. And I watched this about nine days ago. And my review is going to be, I can't really remember very much about it. You know, I remember Tiani uh, being eliminated and nobody really cared. I remember Itak dropping bombs that I really enjoyed, and he had a great look in his eye. I remember a horror having kind of a a, a, a brilliant kind of stalking section, and I getting really into how clever he was, the way he would look around and move in the ring. But it was very much nothing to report. So if you're going to go back and watch it, which, you know, it's free, you might as well, I would check out the John Klinger against Mike DeVecchio. But this is by no means a classic GWF show. But we're a GWF podcast, so we've got to get it in. Um, Okay, let's wrap things up. I think this is the most I've ever talked about. Four shows and a match as a little bonus. I've absolutely ploughed through it. Um, I'm trying to take a little bit more of a... um, a bird's eye view, I suppose, sometimes. So I hope you, you know, you've not, it's not been too much of a, I know we'd all be like to do the 1am in the kitchen, sitting around eating cheese and chatting kind of podcast. But this has been, right, here's my thoughts about Brit Rest. Boom, 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 boom. Um, but anyway, it's done. You can relax. You can go and get your cheese and crackers. Um, really into me brie at the minute. I've been buying quite a lot of brie. So I'm going to stuff some grapes into a brie and eat them on some crackers. Um, get in the Discord. Uh, Voices of Wrestling uh, Discord. There's a Eurograps Express room. I pride myself on it being the friendliest room on the whole site. So get yourself in there and have a chat. Post pictures of your cheese boards, please. I always want to see them. And we will be back in two weeks for a full review of WXW 16 Carat Gold Weekend. See you then. Hello Voices of Wrestling listener, Dave Ryan here. Have you ever wondered to yourself, how many hidden gems are hidden away inside the last years of World Championship Wrestling? Have you ever asked yourself how many tenuous gags can be made about the name Mike Enos? And have you ever thought about what it sounds like for two Irishmen to interpret a very chaotic company through its B-show? The answers to all this and more are just a click away. Check out Days of Thunder every second Thursday on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.